As a bit of a segue, this week I went from being accused of heresy, which has kind of been um, a semi-regular occurrence in my life in the last 12 months, uh, to an accusation of being the mouthpiece of the Antichrist. So that was, that was interesting. Um, it, I, and I, I, it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me, and I don't... <laughs> And I don't share that for uh, street cred or what, however people, however people want to receive that. Um, but I think it, for me, it just kind of highlights how messed up the public debate is at the moment. Um, whether that's whatever sphere that's in, whether that's in the media or, or social media, um, on most issues. And I had kind of numerous conversations this week, uh, both in person and on phone calls and people uh, direct messaging me, um, that really just kind of highlighted to me what we've been talking about for the last few weeks and which I am absolutely guilty of, that, that we are progressive on the issues that are palatable and comfortable to us, um, but we are often conservative and regressive on the issues that we find threatening and uncomfortable. You know, we're, we're very quick, if we're honest, to put Bible verses that we disagree with in context, in inverted commas, but sometimes we flatly refuse to even consider the possibility, just, just even an inkling of contextualizing verses that may undermine our position on something. And so, I actually don't want to talk about that tonight. Um, but what I do want to talk about is what I think is pro-Christ as opposed to anti-Christ. And uh, tonight I want to talk about sanctuary. I want to talk about safe places. I want to talk about places of protection, places of restoration. And I'm going to kind of take us on a little bit of a history and, and hopefully it'll be, um, fill us with a little less dread than the history that Jeremy took us on, which was absolutely accurate and fantastically uh, true. Um, but in the Old Testament, what we find is that sanctuary was essentially understood to be the place where God dwelt. Sanctuary was the temple. Sanctuary was where the Holy of Holies took residence. And so what we see throughout the Old Testament and throughout Scripture is that concepts and stories of sanctuary and refuge are really woven throughout. We, we read it in the Exodus story. We read it in the Abrahamic tradition. We, we read it in how uh, foreigners were to be treated uh, amongst the Jewish people. Leviticus 19.34 says this. It says, The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love them as yourself, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. And so we read about sanctuary and we read about refuge uh, throughout scripture. We read it in Jesus' story. story. We read it uh, in Jesus' story as, as even a young child who is fleeing uh, certain death as a male child uh, at, the, at the threat and the hands of the uh, emperor of the time, Herod. Uh, we read it in Jesus' story as an adult when he frequently retreats. He frequently um, goes into the wilderness and, and he frequently finds quiet places for reflection and uh, prayer and for renewal. And in Matthew chapter 11, which is kind of where I want to concentrate tonight, Jesus, Jesus says this, and essentially what he's doing is he's extending an invitation. He's extending an invitation to sanctuary. And he says, come to me, 
All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love that passage. I really do. I, I, read, that, I read that numbers of times this week, um, and, and I find that to be one of, one of the most beautiful invitations. It, it's just stunning. I, I read it uh, when I was tired. I read it when I was changing planes at Melbourne and Adelaide. I read it when I was deciding whether to bother to reply to certain Facebook comments and foolishly did anyway. Um, I read it when I was at a bit of a loss and, and I have to admit that every time I read it, it kind of brought a little tear to my eye. It was just kind of this moment, this like this salve of my spirit where I was just like, oh. it's just a beautiful passage because Jesus says, come to me all, all. It's such an inclusive term, all, isn't it? It's, it's not some, it's not many, it's all. And, and then in this invitation, he does kind of go on to qualify it, but the distinction is not a distinction of gender, it's not a distinction of age, it's not a distinction of culture, it's not a distinction of sexuality. The only distinction that is made is the state that all people find themselves in, and that state is not one of worthiness, and it's not one of good behaviour, and it's not one of... Uh, morality, it's not one of authority, it is purely a state of being weary, of being burdened, of being broken, of being worn down, and really just this state of being at a loss. And Jesus' offer then is not come to me and I will judge you, not come to me and I will correct you, not come to me and I will accuse you, it's rest. He offers rest, he offers safety, he offers renewal. And so what we see is, is that God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is the embodiment of sanctuary. And the embodiment of sanctuary is actually opening his arms to everyone. And whilst the church, broadly speaking, absolutely has been guilty throughout history of causing great harm in the name of the Bible and the name of morality. The reality, too, is that the, church, the church's entire foundations are built on sanctuary. The church has long been a place of sanctuary for the lost and for the broken and for the excluded and, and for the traumatized. It's, it's the foundation of the church. And uh, we can see that throughout. In, in ancient Rome, what would happen is that criminals and debtors uh, could flee to Christian churches and they could receive asylum from Roman authorities. And this practice continued throughout history. It continued uh, in various adaptations through the Middle Ages. It, it, it continued into the 16th century. It continued into the 18th century. Um, we see it... I don't know if... Who's seen... Um, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Esmeralda, Paul, Paul admits that he's seen it. Um, it's about sanctuary, and the church was supposed to be about sanctuary. And I think that we can understand sanctuary on three levels, as presence, as in the presence of God, as place, as a physical place where people flee to or retreat to and as protection, a, a physical act of protecting someone. Because not only was the church building 
uh, set aside as a place of sanctuary. It was actually um, deemed to be the role of church leaders to step in on behalf of people. It was deemed to be the role of church leaders to intercede on behalf of the accused and the condemned and the excluded. I don't know if you remember this story, and for those of you who weren't here, um, not physically here, but part of Found a year ago, you certainly wouldn't. But in the first ever message that I shared at Found, I shared the story of this guy called St. Max, or Maximilian Maria Colby, and he looks, he looks like the original hipster. But um, he was a Catholic priest, and he was a Catholic priest during uh, the, the 1930s and 40s. And uh, he was a Catholic priest in Poland at the time that the Germans invaded Poland in 1939. And what happened was, as part of Germany invading Poland, that basically started the outbreak of World War II. And so what happened was that uh, St. Max, or Maximilian uh, Kolbe, um, basically turned the monastery that he was in, uh, with a number of other monks, uh, into a makeshift sanctuary. They, they turned it into a, a shelter for people who were fleeing war, who were fleeing the Germans. There was something like 2,000 Jews, I think, that they hid and protected and housed in that monastery. Um, and so he kind of set up this place of sanctuary. And what happened then was that when his town was captured by the Germans, they basically gave him an opportunity. He was, a, he was essentially a German citizen. His father was a German, um, his mother was Polish. And so they said to him, here, sign this list. If you sign the German people's list, you will have immunity. You, you won't be subject to, to being rounded up with all the other Jews and being put in concentration camp. You, won't, uh, you, you can just go on with your life. And he refused. He basically refused. He refused Nazi allegiance and he said, no, sorry, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. As a consequence, they shut down the monastery. They shipped everyone that was there, or the majority of people there, to Auschwitz. Um, and the story kind of continued. So uh, what happened then was that Maximilian said, well, I'm not going to stop being a pastor and a priest to these people because that's who I feel like I'm supposed to be. And so he continued, which didn't really endear him to the German prison guards too much. And so he was subject to, to regular beatings. Uh, they would often smuggle him into the hospital prison. Uh, and then one day, three prisoners went missing. Um, we're not really sure what happened historically, whether they got out or whether they died or, or what happened, but they went missing. And so the deputy camp commander decided that as kind of a warning and a punishment to, to all the other prisoners, he would just round up ten random people, no science to it, round them up and put them in an underground bunker and allow them to starve to death. Maximilian wasn't amongst that ten, but as they were identifying the ten, um, one of the men cried out, um, probably in Polish or, or, or German, um, my wife, my kids, I'll never see them again. And, and in that moment, Maximilian stepped forward and said, choose me. Pick me instead. I'll go. For whatever reason, the German prison guards agreed. And so he took that man's place and uh, they placed him in an underground bunker. He was the last of the ten left living and they decided they wanted to clear the bunker, so they gave him a lethal injection and he was cremated the next day. It's a tragic story. The entire time is tragic, but I think what we see in St. Max is the embodiment of sanctuary. But he's not unique. 
the Apostle Paul would go as far to say that if Christ dwells within us, then we all have sanctuary. Then we are all the embodiment of sanctuary. The Apostle Paul talks about uh, the body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, sanctuary is about presence. Sanctuary is about place. Sanctuary is about protection. And we are part of that. The heritage of radical and risky welcome is kind of embedded in the Christian tradition. It's embedded in our lives. In the 1800s, I was reading this week about um, the Underground Railway. Who's heard of the Underground Railway? So basically, it was a series of really complex routes and safe houses that wove uh, from the south of the United States right through the north and into Canada to help African-American slaves be escape slavery, basically. And the church played a, a huge role in that. And um, they estimate that between 1800 and 1850, more than 100,000 African-American people were, were liberated from slavery through the Underground Railway. That's, that's a massive amount of people. It's quite phenomenal. And so, sanctuary is, is very much about our tradition. Sanctuary is also, I think, uh, a disposition. It's a disposition towards vulnerability. It's a disposition towards uh, and a stance against injustice. And it's something that really, I think, and, and maybe I'm completely biased and I live in a bubble, but I think it should be hardwired into us. Where I think it goes wrong, and this is me looking at myself in the mirror as well, I think what prevents us embodying sanctuary is fear. I think it's absolutely diminished by fear. I think it's fear of the other, fear of reprisal, fear of reputation or loss thereof, fear of consequence, fear of stepping out. And if we fear, if we fear the other, if we fear the stranger, then obviously welcome is not likely to be our default response. And I think if we're honest, what we see in the public debate is that we actually often fear the stranger in ourself. We have a hard time making room for ambiguity. We have a hard time making room for dissonance and uncertainty in our own lives, let alone in anyone else's. And so in the face of fear, I think we can become very much either or. It becomes you know, left or right, that way or the other way, rather than both and. And so if we're unable to embrace the stranger in ourselves, then obviously we will struggle even more to embrace the stranger who is in front of us. But we live in a climate where as Christians and as the church, sanctuary should really be our primary mandate and our call to action. You know, there's a bit more doom and gloom, but there's 65 million people currently displaced worldwide. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people fleeing war and torture and trauma. Currently, there are uh, obviously public debates going on at the moment about whether some members of our community should be allowed to marry, whether they are even fit to be parents. And so this is going on all around us. But in the face of this, I think that as the church and as Christians, the world doesn't need us to be sanctimonious. The world needs us to offer and to embody sanctuary. 
And Jesus' command to love our neighbours as ourselves has particular significance in the context of sanctuary. As, as followers of Jesus, we, we are invited to be radically welcoming. And we are invited to embody sanctuary in the way that we make space for each other, that we make space for the stranger, that we make space for the vulnerable and those in need. And so Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so my hope at least for myself this week, is that I would read that not just as a personal invitation that I, that I think that we often do, but that we would read that also as an invitation that we're to extend to other people. That we would read that as an invitation to ourselves to make that manifest in our own lives. That's my hope and that's my prayer. Amen.